Starting today, we'll study Book of Jonah for next five Sundays. Usually I do first sermon series from New Testament, but I selected the Jonah story because Jonah's story is like a New Testament. It is first of all well known and also is incredibly relevant and very contemporary to our life with God. How many of you not heard about the Jonah story? You know, parents and the Sunday school teachers you know, bear witness that our first time children heard about the story of Jonah, especially about the big fish that caught men. You know, fish caught men, not a man you know, catching fish. And while people are fascinated with the story of a big fish swallowed Jonah and safely transported him to his destination, many people have not fathomed the depth of his actual message. And Jonah's story actually is all about God's grace. It's about God's grace. This book teaches us to grasp how wide and how long, how high and how deep is grace of God for us. Philip Yancey wrote a bestseller called What's So Amazing About Grace, in which he called grace, quote, last great word, last great word. By that, he does not mean that there are some first great words before grace, but we usually accept the grace of God as our last resort. Yancey points out that part of our problem to understand grace is that our world does not operate on grace. As a result, grace is hard to accept, hard to believe, hard to receive. For instance, when you receive a phone call from a telemarketer who, tell, who is saying that I'm not trying to sell you anything, I just want to offer you a free trip to Hawaii, you know, your skepticism goes up. Because we know there is no free lunch in this world. Yancey goes on to say that grace shocks us in what it offers. It is truly not of this world. It frightens us with what it does for sinners. Grace teaches us that God does for others what we would never do for them. We would save only not so bad people. But God starts with the prostitute and tax collectors and then down, downward from there. Grace is a gift that costs everything to the giver and nothing to the receiver. It is given to those who don't deserve it, barely recognize it, hardly appreciate it. And so grace is something that we heard a lot in the church, but we don't really, I mean, we, it's, a, it's a long way to understand. Grace, in my opinion, is a bigger, it's not my opinion, actually fact, it's a bigger than the universe. So of course, it takes eternity to understand the grace. And then grace that we find in the book of Job is amazing grace. It's more than amazing grace, actually, it is outrageous grace. It's outrageous grace. How much outrageous? It offended the missionary or the prophet. So title of our series is that outrageous grace and offended missionary. Outrageous grace and offended missionary. 
And before we delve into details, let me give you three quick introductory notes about the book. First of all, Book of Jonah is a sure story. Critics and skeptics are all focused on big fish. The Book of Jonah presented as an actual story in history because everyone in this story was an actual historical figure and every city is an actual city. Jonah was a real prophet mentioned in 2 Kings chapter 14, verse 25, who lived and served Jeroboam II, the king of Israel. Nineveh, Joppa, Tarshish are actual places. The whole story of the book of Jonah actually can be dated at about 765 before Christ. In other words, it is a sure story. It is a sure story. And now I want to tell you the real miracle in this story is not a big fish that who big fish which did not digest Jonah, but God who didn't want to destroy Nineveh. That's the real miracle. So whether you take the fish element to be a myth or a parable or, or a fable, I want to tell you Jonah's is a true and sure story about God and us. Amen? So first thing for Jonah is a sure story. Second thing is a short story. Only four chapters, 48 verses, just about 1,300 words. You can read it in, five, uh, in 15 minutes. Yet it tells us all we need to know. Beautifully balanced, deep and profound. And this book opens a window into the heart of God. So a simple outline of the book of Jonah is chapter 1, Jonah follows. Chapter 2, Jonah prays. Chapter 3, Jonah preaches. Chapter 4, Jonah pouts. So chapter 1, Jonah, you know, flee from God. And chapter 2, he praying to God in the fish's belly. And chapter 3, he's speaking for God. And chapter 4, he is learning about God. Now, third thing about the book of Jonah is that it is a shadowing story. Shadowing story. People call Book of Jonah one of 12 minor prophets because actually it contains a one prophecy. It's just one prophecy. But it is a major story about God's grace for us. In fact, our Lord Jesus loved this story because Jonah is the only minor prophet Jesus mentioned by name. Matthew 12, 39, Jesus said this. He answered, a wicked and adulterous generation asks for sign, but none will be given except the sign of a prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the valley, valley of the huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah and now, something greater than Jonah is here. So Jonah's story shadows the story of Jesus in his death and burial and resurrection. So Jonah's story is like a New Testament story. And that's why I decided to start the first message series of the year with the story of Jonah. Now, let us read our text to, uh, our today's text together. It's only three verses, so let's read together. Are you ready? One, two, three. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, 
Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord, headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found the ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he ran aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. The story begins the water this way. The water of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. That's a typical formula about how someone is called to be a prophet. Now, some of you have a version of a Bible actually says, Arise and go to Nineveh. That's what actually Hebrew text literally says. And the nuance is that Jonah, get up and go to Nineveh now. That will be correct. Literal translation. Isn't it amazing, amazing that uh, how just a one sentence can change your life? Now, earlier, uh, those of you who came late, you didn't hear Joy's uh, uh, prayer request. Just this morning, she received text that her nurse's wife, Georgia Ann, uh, Georgia Ann had a brain aneurysm. And uh, is in the, she is in the ICU, and uh, they're deciding her life within 24 hours. You know, we all had an experience. I got a phone call middle of the night from my brother a few years ago, three, uh, four words. Dad has a cancer. That changed my life. Two years ago. My brother called me again middle of the night. Anytime he called me middle of the night, I just know it's not good. Mom has a stroke. I know some people told me that Pastor Paul, it was the worst week. My stock bottom fell. You just heard it in the news. The three words that God gave to, God gave to Jonah, go to Nineveh. <laughs> can, you can you imagine? The, the, the utter shock, outrage that Jonah went through. You know, this is not like Ethan uh, Hunt in the Mission Impossible. You know, your mission, should you choose to accept it? You know, and uh, should anyone, any of your IMF force be caught and killed, the secretary will disbow any knowledge of it. You know, we're not talking about Mission Impossible. We are talking about Mission Inconceivable. Mission intolerable. Mission unimaginable. Now, God asked Jonah to go to Nineveh and to preach against it. And even the message is not a good message. He's about to deliver bad message to bad people, evil, violent people. Who knows what will happen to him? But more than his own safety, Jonah didn't like that God actually giving a second chance to this horrible people called Nineveh. When God said Nineveh was wicked, he wasn't kidding. Nineveh was the capital of Assyria, the most powerful empire in the world at the time. Assyrians has a reputation for cruelty that is uh, uh, unprecedented. Their specialty was a brutality of a gross and disgusting kind. And uh, things like skinning people alive, decapitation, mutilation, ripping out of the tongues, and making a pyramid of human heads. 
piercing the chin with a rope and forcing prisoners to live in the cages like dogs. Ancient records from Assyria boasted this kind of cruelty as a badge of courage and honor. So compared to Ninevite, ISIS looked like Boy Scout. And uh, some of the you know, uh, uh, things that they did, I'm sorry to gross you out, but uh, let me just uh, say, after capturing enemies, Assyrians would typically cut, cut off their legs and one arm, leaving the other arm and hand so that they could shake the victim's hand in mockery as he was dying. They forced the friends and family members to parade with the decapitated heads of their loved ones and elevated on poles. They pulled out prisoners' tongues and stretched their bodies with ropes so that they could have flayed alive and their skins displayed on city walls. They burned adolescents alive. Youth, how do you feel? Those who survived the destruction of their cities were uh, fated to endure a cruel, violent form of slavery. And all these things, how do you know? They were proud of this atrocity as a badge of honor. So one king, Shalmaneser II, he wrote all these things in detail in stone tablet. That's how we know how bad these people are. Assyrians, they are horrible people. And Jewish people, they hated it. Hated them for their bloodthirsty cruelty. Hated them for their idolatry. Hated them for their idol, you know, their arrogance. So for Jewish prophet to be told by God to go preach to Nineveh was a repugnance. A commentator compared God's call to Jonah in this way. It would be as if a Jew who had lost his family in the, in the Holocaust were asked to undertake a mission to Germany just after Nazi period. And later, Prophet Nahum called Nineveh Harlot, a blood, bloody city and center of violence and needs to destroy, needs to be destroyed. And now, to these people, God was compassionate. You know, we all know the repeated phrase about God in the Old Testament which started in Exodus 34, that God is a compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding love and faithfulness. We all know that, right? But you have to know to whom God is compassionate and gracious. Not to good and righteous and kind and well-behaving people, but to everybody, including horrible people like an Nevite. That's also what Paul said in Romans 5. 7 and 8. Not when we were righteous, nor when we are good, but while we were sinners. God demonstrated his love for us through the death of Christ. This is why God's compassion is incredible. God is a compassionate and kind, not to good people, but bad people. And that's a good news for you and me. Amen? Today, I want to share one of my favorite quotes in my theological readings of uh, how many years? 20 plus years. And that quote comes from Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the great German pastor. And uh, 
martyr, and from his book, Letters and Papers from Prison. This came from his letter that he wrote on December 5th, 1943. And uh, this, is a one, this is, a, in my opinion, sums up Christian faith and theology. So I want you to really pay attention to this. It is only when one knows the unutterability of the name of God that one can utter the name of Jesus Christ. Do you get it? Jewish people, they didn't utter the name of God because so holy. No one can utter the name of God because nobody knows God. God is not object. God is not like you and me. Can people detect right away? God is too big for us to see. No one can utter the name of God, but God came as one of us so that we can now call him with a common Jewish name, Joshua or Jesus. It is only when one loves a life and earth so much that without them everything seems to be over that one may believe in the resurrection and new world. You know the resurrection and new world that the Bible talks about is not otherworldly. God is not taking us a different you know, uh, planet. No. Everything, every precious you know, physical creation, God will bring it back in complete perfection. That is a resurrection. We believe not in just a resurrection, but resurrection of our bodies. Today in our Sunday afternoon class, we do the la, you know, uh, one of the last lessons on the uh, eschatology. We will see, we will learn this thing. And then goes, it is only when one submits to God's law that one may speak of a grace. You don't appreciate grace unless you try to obey the law. When it's so hard to obey the law, that's when you appreciate the grace. And now, this is a part that I want us to understand. It is only when God's wrath and vengeance are hanging as a grim realities over the head of one's enemies that something about what it means to love and forgive them can touch one's heart. Death is not a grim reality. The real grim reality they face every human being is without God, you are lost forever. God's rest and vengeance is not God is burning somebody in the hell for eternity. We're not talking about this infantile child kind of image. We're talking about you are completely separated, source of life and love. Take out your life, love in your life. Imagine your life without any joy purpose, nothing but just yourself, your greed, your, 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 your project, your ambition, nothing but you, 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 you. You think you will enjoy existence? He's right. Dietrich Bonhoeffer is right. If you know what is awaiting to people who reject God, you will have for them. So, God is a, our God is a compassionate God. Even to Nineveh. Even to Nineveh. Now, how about the, uh, uh, how about Jonah? Now, let me go to second part. The first part is uh, outrageous compassion. Second part is offended, rejecting, runaway missionary. Now, who is a Jonah? Jonah was a Galilean prophet. 
and is a hometown. Gas Hepper uh, literally means a wine press, is located in Zebulun, about uh, 15 miles west of the Sea of Galilee. Some scholars think that uh, his hometown is actually Nazareth, hometown of Jesus. And the name Jonah means, anyone knows Jonah means? We have a Jonah, in, any parents name a Jonah, what's the name Jonah means? Jonah means a dove, dove. In, the, in Genesis chapter 8, Noah sent it out dove from his ark to see whether it's a dry land. And the dove returned with a branch of an olive, olive tree and symbolizing there is salvation and peace and God's, uh, God's judgment is over. So today, symbolically, God is sending out human dove, Jonah to Nineveh, to give them, you can repent and live. And then what is Jonah is doing? He is, he didn't like it, he's running away. Where is he going? Instead of Nineveh, which is 500 miles northeast of where he was, he's running to Tarshish. Tarshish, scholars believe, is Spain on the west, end of the world at the time. Before Columbus, Spain was the end of the, end of the world. The gap is about uh, 2,500 miles. God told Jonah to go east. Jonah said, I'm going west. And Jonah was basically said, God, I don't like this mission. I got you, you, this, you got the wrong guy, whatever. And he's running. Now, I want to get to the main point here. This is a very important point. What Jonah is rejecting today is not being a prophet of God. That's not what he's rejecting. What he doesn't like is being a prophet to Nineveh. That's what he doesn't like. Jonah doesn't mind being a prophet to Jewish people, good people, whoever humbly seeking, and people who humbly seeking God. He doesn't mind. He doesn't want to be a prophet to bad people, arrogant people like Nineveh. He simply doesn't want to be God's messenger and servant to those whom he dislikes and feels uncomfortable. In that sense, I think I'm Jonah. And you, we are Jonah. You know, there are some pastors that don't want to serve a, a, a new church or a, a, a newly, uh, recently planted a church. Because when you do church planning, you, you're so desperate. You're survival mode. So you just bring anybody. Anybody welcome, right? As a result, you have anybody with every problem. So some people, some pastors say, ah, oh, I don't want to, you know, I want to go to establish the church. And some pastors don't like establishing the church. You know why? There are a lot of people with old baggages. I want to have a fresh problem rather than old problem. Why? But, in, but in, in a sense, we have something in common. What is that common? I want to be pastor to people who appreciate me, who love me, who respect me. People don't appreciate me, don't love me. They are Nineveh. <laughs> <laughs> you 
Yeah. How about you? You laugh now, right? How about your house church? Some of you feel my house church is very close to Ninevite. <laughs> wow, you know, my shepherd, I don't know where he got that idea that he's a spiritual leader. You know, I can wait until we multiply. I'm sorry, not multiply. But, you know, we all, you know, we don't object to loving. God's command to love, but when God said love those around you or your neighbors, that's when we have a problem because a lot of people around us we don't like. Let me ask you on that note. Do you love your family right away? How did you come to love your family? You know, when I, if I had a, if you have a, when you were young, you, God gave a chance that you can, you can change your family. What would you say? Me? I would say, thank you so much. I've been waiting for that call. I, I would not choose my own physical family. It is by grace of God I'm loving my family. Some of you heard my testimony, my relationship with my older sister. If I, if I could trade off with somebody else, just like an NFL or Major League Baseball, I will put the premium. I'll put all my money and then take off. That's all I say. I mean, probably she, she's, she will be happy to leave. You know? I was a horrible brother. I was a horrible brother. But by grace of God, now we become a best friend. And I'm going to Korea this week to see my mother and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to stop by my sister's, you know, city and then you know, I want to really get to know her better and then, you know, catch up. Jonah, we all have a Jonah in us. We all say, certain people I love, certain people God don't call me to love. This is a great thing about our house church. Actually, it's a great thing about being a member of any family because there we learn to love, accept another. And the interesting thing is that as we begin to pray and care for one another and serve one another, guess what? Holy Spirit bring us together with the love of God. Now, let me bring a third point of the message, which is outcome of rejecting God's call. Outcome of rejecting of God's call. The text says Jonah went down to Joppa. It's not just a physical uh, description. Actually, Jonah has to go down because uh, it's, it, you know, the Jerusalem, the, I mean, the, his area, wherever he is, the northern part is a mountain area, and Joppa is in the, far, in, 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 the, uh, uh, in the coast area, so he has to go down physically. But, Actually, it is spiritual description. When, when we go against God, our life doesn't go up, it goes down. In chapter 4 of Jonah, four times down came up. Verse 3, Jonah went down to Joppa. Verse 4, Jonah went down into the hold of a ship, actually in the bottom of the ship to take a nap. He went down, then later into the sea. And then fish swallowed it, and he went down into the belly of a great fish. This is not a coincidence. When we disobey God's call, anytime we run away from God, you never go up, you always go down. Someone said, without God, people succeed more miserably. Have you heard about that? Without God, people succeed more miserably. 
One time in the San Jose Mercury uh, newspaper in the 90s, uh, mid-90s, I read a very interesting article. That article talking about uh, interesting uh, uh, sociological phenomena in America. That was the return of uh, baby boomers to the church. Baby boomers is a post-war generation, born in after World War I, Korean World War I, World War II, and then Korean War. And they grew up in the so-called with the anti-establishment spirit. And they are the hippie generation when they were young. And they can stand the religion or anything status quo. So baby boomers, they really did, they are not religious. But an interesting thing is the late, starting with the late 80 and 90, huge influx of baby boomers into the church. So San Jose Mercury News, they kind of uh, did a special report, and then I remember one uh, interview with a very well-known uh, multimillionaire lawyer in Silicon Valley, and uh, he said this. I had a dream. I pursued my dream ruthlessly as a result. I achieved my dream. Now I have what I, I have all I wanted at the expense of all I needed. I have all I wanted at the expense of all I needed. I became a multimillionaire. I became a senior partner of a prestigious you know, a law firm in Palo Alto. People recognize my name. I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm recognized. But in the process, I went through two divorces. My children don't recognize me. I'm empty with everything. That was his interview. Jonah went away from God, and initially, it was successful. By the way, do you notice that when he went to Joppa, that happened to be actually shipped to Tarshish, and they happened to have a room, one more room for him? Seems like uh, circumstantially, everything is working for him. And the Jonah maybe say, ah, oh, maybe God is, you know, this is, you know, God is, you know, whatever is working. You should know, anytime you run away from God, Satan will help you initially. Yeah. Do you think uh, God is the only one who uses circumstance? Satan always uses circumstance. You know, anytime somebody tries to get close to God, Satan always provides the obstacle or, you know, contrary circumstance to pull you the other direction. And another thing here is this, money. Had Jonah had no money, running away or taking a ship to Tarshish would be difficult. But now he has money, he's running away from God. Money gives us options. When you disobey God, your resources can be, can, can be your curse. Money, whatever you, know, you have, whatever resources you have, Without obeying God, those things, Satan will use it. I want to say this. We announced the Shepherd College. And John Stockton sent out a survey. And, uh, you know, if, if you haven't received the uh, form, I, you know, please talk to John Stockton or Ginny. We really need to. Uh, figure, you know, get your name on it. But to my surprise, uh, the, you know, about 40 people responded. So, you know, 
statistically, you know, mega churches, only 15% uh, of their members are involved in the, some kind of Bible study. So 40 adults means more than 50% in our church case. But that doesn't satisfy me and doesn't feel really great about uh, your spiritual, our spiritual condition. Because, you know, you might say, I'm not like Jonah. I'm not running away from God. I believe in God. I come to church on Sunday. Then why don't you take a Good Shepherd College classes? If you're going with God, you have to really draw self to God's word. You cannot grow spiritually without nourishing God's word. If you think that you will grow spiritually based on the sermon that Han and I preach every Sunday, it's like you try to live weekly just on this one meal. It doesn't work that way. And we have a great classes. I really think that many of us care about our body and career more than our spiritual life and relationship with God. Yes, I'm speaking to you, whoever feels convicted. Because for our body, we exercise more than three, four hours a week. Bible study takes at the most, you know, hour and a half, including traveling time, two and a half at the most, or let's say the three hours. You cannot spend three hours for your own spiritual growth. Man, you are no better than Jonah. Now, I want to tell you, what does it got to? If I have got, I'll just, you know, just, just you know, send a lightning bolt that they ship right away in front of Jonah and they give him a lesson, you know. But you know what happened? God let him go. You know what Bible, what we call it? Severe mercy. You know, in the Christian circle, it's called severe mercy. When you disobey God, God lets you do it for, for time. Fall away from God is so fast, but recovery will be slow. And then, you know, lesson from Jonah's running away from God is this. You can run from God, but you cannot hide from him. You can run away from God, but you cannot hide from him. Let me quote the Psalm 139, 7 and 8. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depth, the depth in original Hebrew means a shore. It's, it's under, you know, you are there. God is everywhere. Let me close. Jonah's big problem in this story is this. This is a, Jonah thought he was a better than Ninevite before God. Of course, he was not cruel, inhumane, or violent like a Ninevite. But Jonah forget, before God, he was just another selfish, self-righteous sinner. He forgot that once he was Ninevite before God. Tim Keller wrote a book about the Jonah, book of Jonah, and they titled The Prodigal Prophet, and this is what he said. This is a problem facing Jonah, namely mystery of God's mercy. It is a theological problem. It is at the same time a heart problem. Unless Jonah can see his own sin and see himself as a living holy by the mercy of God, he will never understand how God can be merciful to evil people and still be just and faithful. 
the story of Jonah with all its twists and turns. It's about how God takes Jonah sometimes by hand, other times by scrub of his neck, of the neck, to show him this thing. Jonah didn't realize that he is existing by the same mercy of God. He think he deserved it. He forgot that he wasn't in a right one. SKL 18, 23, God said this. Do I take any pleasure in the death of the wicked, declares the sovereign Lord. Rather, am I not pleased when they turn from their ways and live? Later, God repeats the same thing in SKL chapter 3 and pay attention to the difference. Say to them, as surely as I live, declares the sovereign Lord. I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but rather that they turn from their ways and live. Turn, turn from your evil ways. Why will you die? Who? People of Israel. Who is a wicked people that Ezekiel was talking about? It's not a Babylonian. It's an Israelite. It's not a pagan. It's a people of God. Do you get it? You know, you know where we are the most wicked people. Christians are the most wicked people because wicked people out there, they don't know God. So they do horrible things. They disobey God because they don't know God. Christians disobey God even though we know God. And I think this is why the Bible talks about God's judgment start from his household. Church will be the first one to be judged. But key thing is this. We forgot. The ones we are no better than in a bite. You know, this is a real dilemma in our church. And I want to say again, until we really get it. You know, I'm first generation Christian. So I grew up in non-Christian family. And then, you know, I really didn't believe in, you know, Jesus or church stuff and the Christian, you know, whatever. But so I saw a lot of uh, Christian witnesses around me try to share the gospel. And I know how humble and the persistent and the kind they trying to be. It took a while for me to finally open my heart and think about their, you know, what they're talking about, God and Jesus, and ultimately, you know, by miracle of the Holy Spirit, I received Christ. So I know how precious salvation is. In comparison, many of us Second, third generation, fourth generation Christian, those are born and raised in the church. You don't know. You don't appreciate. You think you are saved because you are in the church. You, because you heard the gospel message all the time, you think, you know, you kind of following God? Think not. Your heart is really, really praising God for his outrageous compassion. And you really identify yourself, I'm no better than Ninevite. I'm actually worse than Ninevite, and by grace of God, I'm following him. That's the danger that we are living. This is why our children ministry is important, our youth ministry is important, and our house church ministry is so important. And our Christopher College matters. We're going to sing a song, Reckless Love. Where's the praising team? You know, Reckless Love, 
the repeated song is this. The overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. He chases me down, fights till I'm found, lives a 99. I couldn't earn it. I don't deserve it. Still, you give yourself away. All the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. Do you know Jesus sacrificed his life for you just as much as he sacrificed to Ninevite and all the bad people in the world? Do you know Son of God, the Almighty Son of God, the Eternal Son of God came to temporal world to find you find you, his incarnation, the reason of his incarnation is you, reason of his uh, crucifying, mean, I mean, you know, you know the, the, the unspeakable suffering death is you and your sin. Do you know? Let's pray.